Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Dr. Elia Gugurish. Dr. Elia has a PhD in clinical psychology and is also a best-selling author. We have a great conversation. I hope you enjoy. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. Check me out on uh, Instagram at NoorKidY. Also, we're part of the Comedy Here Now podcast network on 604 Records. So give them a shout out too. Guys, let's get into this week's episode. My guest this week, Dr. Ilya Gugurish. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Dr. Ilya Gugoris. Uh, Dr. Ilya, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Noor. I appreciate it. Uh, this is going to be fun. So uh, you had uh, two books that, uh, um, that you have, um, Seven Paths of Lasting Happiness, and your newest one is Seven Keys of to navigating a crisis and uh, I think this one's actually uh, probably one that's a pretty good timing for yourself Um, but uh, maybe you can give our audience a little bit of a background of yeah just where you came from everything you've done and uh, how you came to writing these books. Sure Uh, so I'm Greek 100% so born and raised in Greece Uh, moved to Southern California to a very beautiful coastal little community called Santa Monica so that's where I grew up uh, went to UCLA, got my PhD in psychology. In the first half of my career, I was a clinical psychologist in private practice. And then in about 2005, I transitioned over to uh, the corporate world, executive coaching, uh, leadership training and development. And, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to uh, just travel the country to speak at universities and various organizations. So over time, people are like, Dr. you really need to write a book. And I'm like, well, I can't write worth crap. I can talk, but I can't write. Like the only writing experience I had was my dissertation for my PhD and I hated it. <laughs> but the pressure kept going on and on. So finally, uh, long story short, I wrote this book, Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness, came out in 2015 and it resonated with, uh, with the audience. I-, I knew it was a good book, but you know, when you write something, it was very personal. Actually, both of these books, I wrote them from my heart, not as a PhD. These are not academic books. These are very practical if you're 18 years old, just finishing high school and launching uh, your path to your life or 85 years old, you're going to get something out of it. So the happiness book ended up becoming a number one bestseller on Amazon. And really, for the last five years, that's really become my my business card. I don't even have business cards. It just opened a lot of doors, you know, and I've got to travel and to speak before the pandemic uh, internationally in London, Paris, you know, Athens, Rome and an invitation to India and Dubai and I mean, all over the world. First, the pandemic shut everything down. So I'll talk about that. So fast forward now to, to last year. It was exactly March 15th. Beware the Ides of March, like Julius Caesar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got this very strong prompting that, Ilya, you really need to write a book about the pandemic. I could feel that there's a tsunami of mental health issues as a result of the pandemic. And, uh, and you need to get out in 45 days. And that's how the message has come for me, very crystal clear and quick. 
So mind you, my first book took three years to write. So getting a book out in 45 days sounds ridiculous. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, but it was, I mean, it was as loud as I'm talking to you, like not next November, not in 2021, people will need this book now. So I called my writing partner, a fellow Greek, Coach Khan Apostolopoulos, and I'm like, brother, I'm going to start writing tomorrow morning. Are you in or are you out? And he said, I'm in. And literally for the next 45 days, we did nothing, morning, noon, and night. And by May, we got the ebook out and the paperback. And what's interesting, initially, we wrote it for individuals, like for, for the common person, right? Help them to navigate the multitude of crises that we're facing. What we didn't anticipate it is by the middle of June, as the economy began to open up again for the first time after the original lockdown, that organizations and corporations started reaching out to us and saying, you know what? We don't know what to do with our employees. They have PTSD, they're scared, they're anxious, they're stressed, and we don't know how to re-onboard them. You know how you do onboard people when you come to a company? Okay, well, this is a new re-onboarding post-pandemic or during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I had like Bank of America reached out from New York and they're like, can you, pre- can you give us a presentation on how to navigate a crisis while maintaining employee morale or engagement? And I had a thousand people all from the New York area, New York City area. And that that resonated so much that they actually now send it out to all 200,000 of their employees in the back of America, which kind of blew me away. I mean, and they gave me a testimonial saying that on video, which is on my website. Like, I had no idea. That's on the one day, a Fortune 100 company. The next month, I had a nonprofit, small company here in Denver, Colorado, 350 employees that work with developmentally disabled adults who had the exact same issues with their, with their employees. Stress, anxious, full of fear, concern, depression, anxiety. And the talk was exactly the same. And it's to me, it's, it's really curious that a Fortune 100 company, multi-billion dollar company and a small nonprofit have the exact same issues, meaning that their employees are really struggling, you know? So that's kind of the, and, and ever since then, it's been radio, television, podcast, nonstop. And, uh, just trying to spread the message that not only can you navigate a crisis and survive, but I think you can even thrive while maintaining your happiness uh, levels. It takes some work, but then that's what I talk about. And hey, uh, that's actually exactly what we need right now. And trust me, I think uh, we've all had uh, these kind of mental health issues over the last year. It's been a crazy, crazy year. Um, one thing I do love about what you're saying in this uh, book is uh, you uh, you talk about four personal personality types people uh, have during a, a crisis. Um, can you share that with us? Yeah. And that's actually the favorite. It's funny you bring that up right at the beginning. That is the favorite part of everyone who's like looked at the book. They all would all want to talk about these four personality types. So here they are. The first one we like to call the victim. And the victim is, why is this happening to me? As if it's only happening to them and not 7 billion people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, you know, the victim, it's poor me. They feel bad about themselves. So, uh, you know, that's they get depressed and, and anxious and so on. The second personality type we call the critic. Now, the critic, regardless of what the federal, state, or local government says, or the United Nations, or the World Health Organization, they criticize everything. For example, this is a silly example, but accurate. Ilya, you should wear a mask when you go outside. Well, that's stupid. Okay, Ilya, never wear a mask when you go outside. What are you trying to do, kill me? <laughs> like, no matter which way you go, yeah, yeah. they criticize every single thing. Mm-hmm. Now we come to the third personality type, which we call the bystander. Now, mind you, this is a good person 
who is, think about the, the deer with the headlights look. They are so overwhelmed by the changes that are taking place, feeling so out of control in their lives that they're literally frozen in fear, paralyzed, immobilized. So they might look to the neighbor, they might look to the left, to the right, but basically they're, they're immobilized. And what all three of these personality types have in common is this. None of them move the needle, offer a positive solution, you know, or, or create something that moves you to a better place, right? All three of them, victim, critic, or bystander. Now we get to the fourth personality type, which we call the navigator, which was the basis in the, you know, of, of this book. Now, before I go on and tell you what the navigator does, here's the key. All four of those personality types exist within each human being. It's not like, well, I'm the navigator, you're a victim. No, we all have all of those personality types. And how does that work specifically? So back in March, when the, the first lockdown happened, and I speak internationally, right? All my speaking engagement got canceled in one week. I got an email after email after email. And I was supposed to speak in Barcelona and, and this and that and the other, gone. So initially I was the bystander, I was stunned. Like all my work is just disappeared in one week. And did I feel like the victim? You're darn right I did. I was like, you know, I was supposed to be in Barcelona, in, in Spain in October, now gone. Now I ended up doing the conference, but it was on Zoom, it was like here. Not exactly the same thing as being in Spain, I don't think. True. And have I been critical of the federal government's response? Uh, it's not a political statement, it's just a fact. Like from time to time, you're done right, I have. However, if I stick in, in critic mode and criticize the government for the last 10 months, who am I hurting, the government or me? I'm robbing myself of my own happiness. If I feel like a victim and I stay a victim for six or seven months or six or seven weeks or even six days, who am I hurting again? It's me, nobody else. So the point is, if you feel like a victim, dive into your emotions, dive into your feelings, feel them as strong as you can for an hour or two, and then pivot and become a navigator. Because when all my speaking engagement you know, disappeared, what did I do? I pivoted and wrote a book with my partner, of course. I wouldn't have done it without him. And this book He's become critically acclaimed that has opened up all these doors for the last, you know, seven or eight months. So be a victim, do it for a couple of hours, not for three days, not for 30 days. You want to criticize somebody, vent, get it out of your system for 30 minutes, and then pivot and become a navigator and become productive. So now, what does the navigator do? And again, the premise of the seven keys are, number one, they start with self-care, meaning because the stress levels have increased, they're level of self-care has also to increase physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And I created a, uh, a personal health assessment for the, in this book to it's 20 simple questions, basically, that give you uh, kind of like, where, how am I doing right now, today, you know, physically, emotionally, it takes two minutes, honestly, to, to take, and it, and it gives you an idea of where you stand. Maybe physically you're doing okay, but maybe mentally and emotionally, you're really struggling. Or maybe mentally and emotionally, you're strong, but spiritually, you're weak, and physically, you know, you're not taking care of yourself. So at least we have an idea where we're at. And the way that the, the survey is ranked is, you know, on the scale of one through five, five, I'm doing great, excellent, four is really good, three, yeah, I'm doing this sometimes, which means there's room for improvement, mm -hmm. at least I'm doing some of it. But if I score a one or a two in any of those 20 questions, those are red flags. And meaning that they, clearly contributes to your lack of good health, 
and withdraw from your happiness account. And, mm -hmm. at, and we have that at the beginning of the book. And the idea is take the assessment now, see where you're at, go through the seven keys of navigating crisis and retake it at the end. And, and hopefully you see some improvements if you've applied the principles and the uh, take actions that we have at the end of every chapter. Mm -hmm. So um, at the beginning, so the first part of uh, becoming a navigator is self-care. And then uh, what other parts are of uh, a navigator? Then, you know, the second thing is awareness, meaning like, listen, get quiet. And, and this is especially true with leaders because I work with senior leadership and, and leadership has to change in the post-pandemic or I, what I call the next normal, not the new normal, but the next normal, what's coming up. Leaders have to show up differently, which means they need to listen, get quiet. And whatever you call that, I, I know your, your name of your show is God, yay or nay, but that voice that is distinct, whether you call it your intuition, your inner wisdom, that still small voice, mm -hmm. the connection to divinity, the Holy Ghost, I don't care what you call it, listen to it. And more importantly, when you hear it, act upon it. The creation of this book was actually me listening. And, and I'm very tuned in. I have been for my entire life. And when I hear the message, when I was younger, I was very curious, right? So when I heard, you can say it was God or whoever it was, or my own inner wisdom. I always used to ask why. Like, why should I get it out in 45 days? Why am I doing the 60 days? You know, kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I've ceased to ask the whys anymore. Because in my experience, when you hear that voice and you act upon it, it has always worked out in my life. Always. That's one of the few absolutes that I have. Hmm. On the flip side, because I'm not a perfect human being, every time I've heard the voice and ignored it, guess what happens? Your life gets worse. <laughs> That's yeah. what happens. Yeah, so yeah. to me, in the end, it, it's not so much what we know in life. It's what do we do with what we know? Like we all know that it's have a healthy diet or movement is important. You know, that's part of our physical health or getting a good night's sleep. Okay, that's just knowledge. But knowledge without application is just education, right? Of course. You and I could read the top 10 books on happiness and highlight them and underline them to death like we normally do. And what do we do when we're done with the book? We turn around and we put it back on the bookshelf, never to be read again. Mm -hmm. So now we're more knowledgeable about happiness, but we're not any happier because we haven't applied the principles, right? Yeah. So it, again, it's all in the... Uh, and even going back to the first book, The Seven Paths of Lasting Happiness. And if you go on Amazon, you read the reviews, it's got like 97% positive rating, which looks like fake news. Like I wrote them myself, <laughs> but I didn't. No, it does, but I didn't write them myself. Some Russian it, bots or something? Yeah, somebody, <laughs> <laughs> it's a conspiracy, I tell you. <laughs> but, you know, people have said, people that have known me, I'm like, Ilya, what you wrote about happiness is nothing new. It's, it's, it's nothing that Aristotle didn't say 2,500 years ago. You know, what has happened is the whole purpose and meaning of life. That's what he said, right? The whole aim and end of human existence, to, to quote Aristotle, right? Self-care or love, attitude of gratitude, forgiveness and self-forgiveness, purpose and passion, kindness and so on, good relationships. You, it's not like you said to us something new. But what we love about your book is at the end of every chapter, you have a couple of points for the reader to meditate on, to consider, to think about. A couple of questions to answer. And then what we love is what you call take action. So let's say in the forgiveness chapter, part of the take action is we all know that forgiveness is important. Gandhi said that forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. I love that quote. Mm. We also know that one of the greatest acts of self-compassion truly is self-forgiveness. 
but most people do not know how to do it. It's, Don't know uh, how to do that. Very difficult, so, but it is. So in my take action, I'm like, here's how you self-forgive. And this goes back to me being a clinical psychologist. I, I just took so many clients and so many patients of mine through the process because without self-forgiveness, your life is not going to be very happy, right? Mm-hmm. Because and- most people... Uh, when they wake up in the morning, they put an invisible backpack on before they brush their teeth, before their feet hit the ground. That's full of rocks, pebbles, boulders, I mean, you name it, which are symbolic, of course, of all the things, all the mistakes they've ever made, their human frailties, their weaknesses, and all the things that have not, they haven't forgiven themselves for. And that's how they go through life. So for me, I don't, imagine if you actually had 100 pounds worth of rocks, every, I mean, physically, how stupid and lame that is. And yet psychically or, or, you know, psychologically, that's what they do. So for me, it's like, let's take off the backpack, let's open it up and let's examine what are the things you haven't forgiven for? I've had people that have held on to things for 50 years, half a century of a mistake that they made 50 years ago, and they're still carrying that weight. Do you understand how detrimental that is to one's emotional health? It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. If so, so we take them out, we examine them, we give them a name, we rank them on a scale of one to 10, you know, a one would be, well, I spilled some milk. Sorry, I broke the glass. You know, <laughs> so I did yesterday. A 10 would be some horrific, perhaps a crime that they committed or some offense towards another human being or, you know, something horrible. So I have them rank on a scale of one through 10, put them all down. And here's what, this is why human beings are unique. So then we go one by one and we we'll go through the forgiveness process. I usually like to start with people like, let's start with the ones and the twos, the easy stuff to forgive yourself. And then you gain some practice and gain some momentum. And then we can move on to the tougher things. But people that have type A personalities, especially men, they're like, no, I'm not doing it that way. I want to start with the 10. <laughs> no, it's it, right? It's it. And they do the 10, which is the hardest thing. Because in their, in their mind, if I can forgive myself on the 10, then everything else below that is easy. Yeah, and it, I mean, me personally, I don't really care which way you go as long as you do it, and that's the key, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, uh, uh, back to the seven keys. So, awareness is number two. The third one really has to do with flexibility, resiliency, and adaptability because that's a that's a key to life in in general. And we like to use the analogy of the oak tree and the palm tree when it comes to flexibility. So the oak tree, what does an oak tree look like? It's massive, right? It's huge, strong, tall. It's been around for a hundred years. However, if there's enough saturation during a storm on the ground and enough wind, what happens to oak trees? They come crashing down on people, cars and homes, right? You see that in every hurricane, oak trees, huge ones come crashing down. On the flip side, a palm tree, which is relatively thin, it will bend. And now I also want you to be thinking about the, the storms of life. Mm-hmm. At the peak of the storm, the palm tree will bend, 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 sometimes even parallel to the ground. But when the storm passes, guess what happens to the palm tree? It rises up again. And yeah. it's actually physically even stronger than before because it, its root system dug in deeper at the peak of the storm and held on for dear life. So the call to action for your listeners are be a palm tree, don't be an oak tree. Now, people have asked me, uh, actually on live uh, shows, like, well, that's a great analogy. I'm going to remember that. It's kind of cute. I want to be a palm tree. But what does an oak tree sound like in human terms? And I'm like, that's a great question. An oak tree sounds like this. 
well, this is the way things have been done around here for 40 years. I'm not going to change that. This is who I am. Oh, you know, kind of like they, they dig in their heels. Oh, well, guess yeah. what? During the pandemic and during the this crisis and another crisis that we're facing, people that are not flexible or adaptable will break. Yeah. And I, because I'm a huge sports nut uh, fanatic, I also use this sports analogy. If you were to look at elite professional athletes, people that are getting millions of dollars to play a game, whether it's football, soccer, basketball, baseball, whatever, before the big game starts, they're out in the field for about 30 minutes. What do they do? What are they doing out there before the game starts? Like, think about it. (laughs) Exactly. Why are they stretching? Yeah, they want that flexibility so they don't get injured because that's exactly it. That's exactly right. If they don't stretch, even though they're in peak physical condition, right? Make millions of dollars and play to play a game. If they don't stretch, they're going to pull a hamstring or worse. So now you and I are not elite athletes, but we're in the game in the Super Bowl of life in some ways. We're playing this game, right? If we're not flexible and adaptable, we're going to stretch. And if we don't stretch, we're going to pay a price. I could have sat here and been the victim and said, you know, all my speaking games are gone and, and fumed. I hate this pandemic. I hate this, like, I hate the, you know, but what good would that have done? So I was flexible. I have no plans to write a book in 2020. None, because my, my, I was full. My work, I was, I was like, I didn't have any room for that. And yet I decided to be adaptable and flexible and guess how many doors this book has opened up now, which is really interesting. I will tell you that last year, I spoke to more people than I ever have before in my entire life. Obviously it happened remotely. Mm-hmm. But the message came out. It just happened in a different way. Do I love live events? You're, I'm an extrovert. You're darn right. I do. I love the audience. I love the energy. I feed off of that. It's not the same doing it here. But that's not available. It hasn't been available. And may not, may not be available, I think, until the fall of 2021, honestly, before I, I'm in front of the stage again. Mm-hmm. So am I going to sit here and feel sorry for myself? Or am I going to take advantage of the fact that my reach has grown exponentially? I mean, I, I did a, uh, a, a webinar presentation in India last summer, 20,000 people. Oh, wow. Live events. I've never spoken in front of 2,000. 2,000 was the most I've ever spoken to in live. Like, so do you understand this fear of influence that continues to grow as a result of that? Different. Yeah. But if I'm stuck, well, I don't do Zoom. I don't like Zoom. I'm too old for Zoom or whatever. I'm not going to do it. I'm like, I want live. Then I would have missed out. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that mindset, that flexible mindset, uh, it's so powerful. And it's not even just during a crisis. It's just during life in general. Like when stuff gets thrown your way, just uh, to be able to look at it from different angles. It kind of, it, it was the same thing when I, when the uh, pandemic happened for me, I was, com- uh, I was like going for my first like national television uh, set. I was doing a big festival I was getting prepared for. Bang, all in one day that all got canceled. And uh then it went to like, all right, I've been talking about this podcast. Let's get this up as right away. And because of that, and because of this whole remote thing, I just got to talk to so many cool guests and everything. And everything started spiraling in another direction, which I'm like happy with. And I think that flexibility is um, such a key. So with f- flexibility, you said resilience is uh, a part of that? I think so, because it, it makes us stronger when we do that. I mean, you and I will both be on stage again. Hopefully this year, certainly in 2022, I mean, I'm sure but that you know we will come back. But in the meantime, we can fret, we can be upset, we can criticize and feel like a victim or do nothing. 
or we can become navigators of our own lives because that gives you a little bit of control. Mm-hmm. Again, I can't control what the UN or the World Health Organization says or does. What can I control? And one of those keys, of course, is what takes place up here, which is my attitude, right? Yeah, 100%. That's one of the other keys is having a positive attitude, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I know we're getting a butt kick. That's humanity is down on one knee. And this is lasting a lot longer than I even anticipated. And I'm studying this a lot because of the book. I really thought we'd be in the clear by now. It's not going to happen. Maybe this summertime, I think we'll hopefully we'll have a much, you know, with the vaccines and so on. But some kind of normal cure, the next normal is not probably not going to happen until next fall. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, believe me, I would like to be out today. But uh, we also have to be realistic. But the positive attitude is this, and it's perspective that these two shall pass. Yeah, this isn't the end of humanity. Does it hurt? Are there millions of people that have died and, and, and have been infected? Absolutely. It has it devastated families and communities. Yes, it has. But it's not the end of humanity. Mm-hmm. But it's been a very painful year. I mean, let's be honest, for everybody. Difficult year. No question about it. Yeah. And uh, like... I, I let's just like I want to talk a little bit more about this like going through a like a crisis like this because uh, it happened to me actually in the last month too where like I've had like four or five things just pile up on me and uh, one of them being like my dad had a stroke and like uh, it was just like a really rough one and I had to come home and like kind of take care of the family business and like uh, really be there for the whole family and everything on top of that I like tore like a muscle thing in my back so it was like I had days where I was on the floor in like pain all the time and like it it, my self-care ended up going out the window for a couple weeks and that was the one thing I noticed when I tried to had to claw that back was like all right I need to get that back first before I can start getting some like normalcy back in my life and like now I, I like now that a lot of this has kind of passed and my dad's getting better I'm feeling a lot uh in a better place but I know you went through a similar thing with you you had an accident as well and um maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and like uh like you went through constant pain as well if I'm not mistaken so yeah well you know the uh first of all you're talking about personal crisis let's talk about the actual crisis that are facing humanity simultaneously at the same time number one is the pandemic number two we have the mental health crisis which according to the United Nations which, and this is several months ago, there's over a billion people with a B that suffer from depression, anxiety, and stress. Mind you, these are people that did not have pre-existing conditions, okay? And between you and I, I think one billion plus is way underreported. Mm-hmm. That implies that only one out of seven of us is struggling with these things. There's no way that's the case. I think everybody's struggling with that. So you got mental health crisis. Then you throw in the economic and financial um, crisis where at least in this country, in the US, we have you know, tens of millions of people unemployed, but across the world, you have hundreds and hundreds of millions of people unemployed. A couple of billion people either underemployed or feeling financially insecure. Like, how am I gonna take care of myself or my family across the globe? So that's crisis number three. Then you throw in the political, social, and, and racial strife. That's four crises. Now, we're not even counting your, you just described at least two personal crises that you have, your dad and your back. We're not even counting those. So yes, human beings are resilient. Yes, we have faced crisis before. And I think most people can handle one or two crises at the same time. We're, we're, you know, we're capable. But when you have four or five or six with no end in sight, 
that becomes that's that's really hard and that's why you're seeing drug and alcohol abuse is up uh there's a huge loneliness epidemic that didn't exist before uh suicide hotline you know those numbers are way up skyrocketed because just people can't handle this because it's indefinite like seriously if somebody came up and said look march 1st we go back to normal everything's back to normal like and we're like you know we've been through this almost a year we're exhausted i can hang in there for a few more weeks we can do it mm-hmm. but it seems like every time we think there's a clearing there's a setback the numbers rise again another lockdown another restriction another this another that you know businesses you know there are hundreds of thousands of businesses that are, are never going to recover will never come back yeah. um so although all those things are real then you add your personal crisis on top of that well heck I mean, that's really hard and that's why people and uh, the one thing I do like about uh, how you have your four personality types for a crisis, and I, I like how you say, like, hey, we have all of these as a part of us. Like, the, this isn't like well, I'm one or I'm the other. But and I, the other thing I liked is, like, when you have that victim, like, let's say if you're playing the victim at one time, I like how you said, like, okay, allow yourself to play that victim for an hour or so but get out of that and understand that this is going to change and I'm going to get out of that because right. there is that sometimes uh, people and like, like you said, some of those type A personalities, they might be like, no fight back against that victim mentality. And just like, you know, just try to fight back, but you're resisting it. And that usually makes it come back like even stronger at the end. Right. Exactly. And, and you know, sometimes like the self care aspect of it, it's not like we have to like rechange. I'll give you a, sim- a simple example. Before the pandemic, I used to walk three days a week because I'm getting older and this movement is good. It's something that I had to do. So I, I do my three miles, you know, three days a week. Well, as my own stress level increased, taking care of my family, extended family, friends, clients, you know, just all that stuff, I had to change my self-care. And since April, I've been walking every single day, seven days a week. No, I'm not kidding. I, I don't miss a day. And now it's become such a habit that it, it's something that I, I want to do it. It's not mm-hmm. that I have to do it. It's I want to do it. And my hope is that once this pandemic is over, that I'm going to continue this habit because it, I know how good it is for me to move, to be outside, blue skies, sunshine, vitamin. It reduces your stress level. Sometimes I take my phone with me and I talk to people or whatever, but other times I don't. And I kind of meditate when I walk and I, and I take the partake of the beauty, the birds, the you know the trees the fresh air the blue skies all of those things elevate my mood mm-hmm. and, and i do this on a daily basis so that's one little habit went from three times to seven times but if you multiply that by 365 days guess what happens after a year and i've been in it now for about 10 months i mean i'm in a healthier in better shape and healthier than i've ever been yeah and i only changed one habit i didn't have to change my whole life that's no, and that's that's true. And like you were saying, like uh, it seems like when you're walking, you're becoming more present of like your just your environment, and like that kind of quiets down your mind, quiets down everything. And it's like that in itself is such a good thing for your mental health because you know that inner critic kind of like ends up silencing your like a little bit because like how you were saying at the beginning, you had this voice come to you and tell you write this book in forty five days. 
And uh, you said like before that you, you would uh, you like sometimes have like all of a sudden you might ignore that because those other voices start popping up like, why not 60 days? Why not 70 days? But uh, I've noticed that too. Like you have to listen to your intuition when you get those things that call to you and you have to have that self-care to keep that inner critic down because that inner critic will come and like tell you like, oh, no, no, you don't need to do this or you can let it go or this is stupid. You're going to fail. Like all of those things can like just start jumping on you. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have this analogy, but in my in my first book on the happiness book, I talk about the inner critic and how damaging the inner critic can be. And I I ask people to say, imagine, you know, whether it's God, the universe or somebody handed you the keys to your favorite car. Whatever that is, it could be a Maserati, it could be a Ferrari, it could be a SUV, I don't care what it is. And symbolically, they say, here are the keys to this car, and the car basically symbolizes your life. You only get one car, so drive it well, take care of it. And when we begin, you know, we're in the driver's seat, but as the inner critic begins, and usually happens, you know, in our early years, developmental years, teenage years, and then it goes on, takes over the car, takes, it starts driving our own car. Now, we, we're, now we're in the passenger seat. And if the inner critic continues to pound on us, now we're in the backseat. And if the inner critic is really negative and detrimental, we might find ourselves in the trunk. Yeah. And our life basically. So I ask people when I make, I said, what, is your, what do you think you are right now? Some people say, yeah, I'm, you know, like on a scale of one to 100, how, how much, what percent does your, I had one guy said 97%. I'm like, not only are you in the trunk, you're like tied up and like you can't, you're blindfolded, like your whole life is out of control. Mm-hmm. So the point is, we need to confront the inner critic. So I'm like, if you're in the trunk, let's at least get in the back seat. At least you can see, even though you're not driving the car, at least you have some idea. And if you're in the back seat, let's move you to the passenger seat. So at least you're closer. And at some point, you have to take over and regain control of your destiny. Yeah. And, your... and people say, well, how, how do I do that? I mean, that sounds, I like the visual. I can visualize. Like, I mean, a lot of people said I'm in the back seat. Most, most times people say I'm in the back seat. If you have said I'm in the passenger seat, you know, yes, my life is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to control the inner critic back and forth. I'm like, this is how you do it. Every time you hear this negative critical voice in your head, I want you to imagine that you're a judge dressed in a black robe with a gavel. And every time you hear the inner critic, you use the gavel to say overruled. For example, <laughs> you're stupid, overruled, you know, you're an idiot, overruled. You can't do that, overruled. You can't have overruled. At the more time you overrule that voice, you gain control back of your destiny. And at some point, you cross over to the 50%. So it could be 51% you and 49% inner critic. And now there's this battle, right? Back and forth. But at least your hands are on the wheel. And the more you continue to do that, then now the inner critic goes in the backseat. And yes. the more you gain control and you practice self-care, it really self-care is what? Self-acceptance, self-love, right? Mm-hmm. The inner critic is in the trunk, and rarely do you hear some sound from the back because really you're a positive navigator of your own life. So visualize that and think, where am I really, honestly? If you ask people, they'll tell you. When you if you share this with them, even with your own family, ask them. Where, Dr. Ely shared this analogy about in the car and the critic. Ask them, and I'll be very curious to see what they tell you. Yeah, no, I love that. And uh, I like how uh, that whole idea of the judge, that's like a fun one. And like, it is actually a fun <laughs> way to like, note your like inner critic and everything. Cause like, right. I, I come from like a meditation background. So we have a, a, an exercise in meditation where it's like kind of what you're saying, it's noting. So when a thought or that inner critic comes up, 
you know, just give it a label, right? Then like, right. and this is how you go from being completely identified with your thoughts or your inner critic, like that maybe be you being in the trunk or being in right. the back seat. And this is how you go to like slowly coming back and taking over the wheel, which right. uh, I love that analogy. It's like such a good one. And it's a fun way like too to get people to like, um, cause that's sometimes a good thing when you're in that like shitty mindset. Sometimes it's good to be silly and be like, ah, I'm a judge and I'm going to tell you no, like it's just a switch in your states. And like, I love that. You know, what's really interesting is when people get to the passenger seat and they want to retake control of their own lives. I tell them, I said, listen, the inner critic is going to fight back. Nobody gives up control voluntarily. Like you have to have like a coup d'etat, basically. You have to take like, you know, <laughs> take over the government. Of your, listen, because it's your car and it's your life. So you deserve to be, you have your hands on the wheel and driving your own to your own destiny. So there might be some resistance. You might see actually an increase of the inner critic who's battling to, you know, because she doesn't want to be taken over. But be consistent, do it on a daily basis. And at some point, I've had people like from one week to the next, when I was a psychologist, I would say, where are you at? They would say, I'm 45%, I'm getting close. Okay. And the next week, they're like 51, 49. And the next week, they're on the 55 plus, and the inner critic is 45, and they're in control of it. And they said, boy, I could feel that tension. I could hear the inner critic even more than ever. But I'm, I've been using the gavel, Dr. Ilya, every day. I'm like, overruled, overruled, overruled. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Take over, you know? Yeah, and uh, and then that's where you start feeling that like more control over your life, uh, which is what you want. Yeah. Um, all right, so we've been like, uh, well, we kind of been talking about both your books here, but uh, yeah. I think we were more on the crisis side. Let's move a little bit into happiness. Um, okay. Do you do you have like a definition of what you would call happiness, or like uh, how do you how would you describe happiness? Um, like I, I, I like I mean really I go back to Aristotle because I think he tr truly captured what happiness is all about. He said happiness is the meaning and purpose of life, the whole aim and end to human existence. So it's it's I mean think about that statement. I mean it, this is what we're here on this earth. And you know what's funny is that every time I go out on the road and I and I speak to audiences. I always begin with the same question, regardless of what language, right? If you were to ask any parent, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, religious affiliation, socioeconomic status, gender, whatever, if you were to ask them this question, what would you like for your children? What, what is the answer to that question? I just want them to be happy. And I literally take the mic and I point it towards the audience and the audience goes, happy! <laughs> now, we have, now we're all connected. Before I did my talk, now we were all in the same field. Like this is what everybody wants is to find happiness. Happiness is a choice, I believe, mm. but also happiness is a skill set, meaning that there's some things that we need to do in order to be happy, like the self-forgiveness, like practicing self-love and self-care, um, like being grateful, gratitude, of course, you know that you can't be grateful and, and depressed at the same time, physiologically, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a, in a grateful state, you can't be depressed at the same time. The thing about gratitude, however, is this, it, it's easy to be grateful when things are going well. That's the yeah. easiest thing in the world. However, life is, is, life is messy. Yep, <laughs> it's yep. not, life is not smooth. And I say that we're all graduates from the university of adversity. All of us, we're all graduates from the same university. And the older we get, the higher the degree. You know, when you start getting old, you have gray hair. You have like 
three PhDs basically. Why is that? Because, <laughs> no, but seriously, think about it. Yeah, yeah. Initially, eventually, we're going to lose loved ones, our grandparents to begin with. At some point, we're going to lose our parents. Uh, we might lose a sibling. God forbid your significant other or the worst loss, of course, is your own child. Mm -hmm. So those things are part of life. We're going to have financial constraints, maybe unemployment, underemployment, uh, bankruptcy, foreclosure, whatever, right? Financial stress. We're going to have health issues. I'm not even talking about the pandemic. You know, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and all that. You know, our bodies are going to fail at some point, right? We're going to have relationship issues. Maybe go through a divorce or a separation or uncoupling, whatever you want to call it. So we're all going to go through that. Now the question is, can you still be grateful in the midst of adversity? Because that's the, that, that's the extra credit homework. Mm -hmm. And my answer is absolutely you can. And why do I say that? Because happy people and successful people in general do three things differently than anybody else. And they do it consistently. Number one, when there is a setback or a disappointment or whatever, they take ownership, meaning they take personal responsibility. This is on me. I made this decision. Nobody put a gun to my head to decide to, to do that. So I own it. That's number one. Number two, they learn from it. You know, what's the lesson in this? And I, I can tell you the greatest lessons that I've learned in my own life ha haven't come from my successes. They've come from when things were rough. And I've learned the great meaning when I was outside of my comfort zone. And then number three, which I personally think number three is even more important than one and two, they have the ability to let it go. So if I made a mistake, and then this is where the self-compassion and self-forgiveness comes in play, I'm not going to bring crap from last year to this year or from last month to this month or from last week to this week or from yesterday to, 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 to today. Does that make sense? So I own it, I learn from it, and then I let it go. You do those three things, you're going to have a very good life and be very successful at it. Oh, yeah. No, I, uh, I agree completely. Um, when you gave that uh, definition of happiness from Aristotle, one thing you did say in it was uh, purpose. And like, um, yeah, so I, I was wondering, like, uh, how, how do you see like um, purpose and happiness, like the connection between those two things? Yeah, and th there's a, a direct connection between the two. And that's, I think, in my book, I don't know if you think that's the fifth path or whatever, but um, I was very fortunate that I, I think I found my purpose very early on in my life. My grandfather, whose name I carry, Elia, actually, when I was five years old, and he died soon after that, so I don't have a lot of memories of my grandpa. He sat me down once. Now, imagine this is a five-year-old little boy, like with a five-year-old little brain, right? And he said to me, if you want to be happy in life, do something good for somebody else every day and you'll be a rich man. I'm kind of translating from the original Greek because that was said to me in Greek. And in my little brain, I don't know why, but it's stuck. So do something good for somebody else every day and you live a good life. And that's what I've tried to do. And, and my purpose in life is to leave this world, world a better place than I found it. And... Uh, you know, my positive energy, my, the, I love people. I make them laugh. I make them cry sometimes, you know, and tell me stories. I mean, both, but, and I say, life is too short to do something that you're miserable at. Mm -hmm. And do you know how many people I've had that I've coached in senior leaders? I mean, people that have made a boatload of money who 
at some point have a midlife crisis and come in, they hate themselves. They hate their lives. They are like, it, it, and, I, and I've thought over the years, why do we wait for a midlife crisis? In other words, why don't we have a midlife reflection before it becomes a crisis? Reflect and say, is this the path that I want to be in? Is this what I really want to be doing? I'm 40 years old, 45, 50, 55. Is this, am I, on, am I on the right path with what my heart desires? One of the greatest blessings of the pandemic, which I call the great pause, that to me, that's what the pandemic is, as if some giant finger from the sky came down and pushed the pause button on humanity. Mm -hmm. It has allowed us to reflect, perhaps even for the first time in our lives, yep. and to ponder and say, what's really important? And that is a fantastic, so to me, as difficult as the pandemic has been, it has opened up doors and opportunities galore. And I've seen so many people say, I don't really want to be doing this anymore. Uh, I want to live a different life. Maybe I want to simplify my life. I want to spend more time with loved ones, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'll give you a specific example from last summer of 2020. In the middle of the pandemic, I just decided I'm going to get out of here. So I got on the, which was kind of crazy. And I went to Greece. We have a home in Greece right by the water. And I spent six, six weeks there by myself. No kids, no wife, nothing. First time ever. Like I went over there and I'm like, I need to recharge my batteries because I'm so stressed out. And here's what happened. For six weeks, I didn't watch any television. And I'm addicted to all of these things, but I'm about to tell you. I watched no Netflix for six weeks. Think about it. <laughs> My phone time was down by 50%. My computer time was down by 75% for six freaking weeks. And I didn't miss them. So people say, well, Ilya, what did you do then for like six weeks? You know what I did? I went swimming every day, twice a day. I got tan under the sun. I, I ate out every single night and I was never alone. I was always with friends and extended family every night for six weeks, every night. And we had deep conversations. We laughed like little kids. We connected. And in the end, I came back. My batteries are so full. And we're talking about that was like six months ago. I'm so full. I, I almost overcharged my self-care batteries. <laughs> and I realized I don't need the rat race. I don't have to do that anymore. Like my goal is to be spending more and more time in Europe and, and balance my life because I have a great life over there. I have a great life here in America too. But I, the connection... It came down to this, connect with people that you love and they love you in return and spend as much time because life is too short. There are no guarantees that we'll be here next year or even next month. You realize that? I mean, that's one of the other things about the pandemic. It's pretty democratic. It's kicking everybody's ass. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter who you are, right? So as a result of that, it became crystal clear, you know, how I want to spend the rest of my life in, in a lot of ways, which is to connect more and more and to spread the message of happiness and wellness, you know, throughout the world. But um, maybe you make less money, but you have a richer life. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, I like how you say it, like say that's kind of like what you like think of as your purpose. It's like, I want to connect with more people I, um, that love me and give love to them and then help people find like happiness and stuff. Like it seems like a pretty simple purpose. And it, like, honestly, I think when most people like, do that inner searching like their purpose comes comes like pretty damn similar to what you're talking about right 
but let's put it into practice. So my motto from 2020 is do not procrastinate your happiness. Meaning when the kids graduate or when I get this raise or when I go on this trip or when this happens or when, forget all the wins. Just live your best life now and start working on yourself. And of course, you know, we always start with self-care or in self-love in both of these books, but we end with kindness and being of service. And that's, there's a reason why that is. So I'm, I've asked people to perform acts of kindness and acts of service because there's no, there's, there's, there's no way you can be service-oriented and be unhappy in life. As a matter of fact, when I'm, um, when I'm in my victim mode, the easiest way for me to get out of that is to forget myself and go and serve somebody else. Mm. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, you know, so I've pushed this message a lot and, and really across the globe of India, Africa, South Africa, Europe, and so on. I've gotten pushback, believe it or not, when I've asked people to perform acts of kindness, sometimes live, like right here. And people have said, Dr. Ely, are you crazy? I'm unemployed. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. And you're asking me to help somebody else? What do you think I am, my brother's keeper? This is an actual quote. Like people have said that just like you and I interviewed. <laughs> do you know what? I push back. I'm like, no, you're not your brother's keeper. You're your mother's keeper and your sister's keeper and the neighbor's keeper and the homeless person down the street or someone that lives 10,000 miles away. You're their keeper too. Why? Because if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you are better off than so many more people. I guarantee it. That means you have a computer, you have a camera, you have a phone, you, have, you know, you're better off. All you got to do is look around. And there's so many people that need your help. So that silences 90% of the naysayers. So when I, when I push back like that, I go, oh, okay, I guess so. Okay, you're kind of reluctantly, but they agree. But there, there's still a 10% that push back again. They're like, okay, I see what you're saying, but I can't help anybody. I'm quarantined. Like I'm stuck in my home. I can't help anybody. And I'm like, that's not true. They go, well, what do you mean? Like, what do I mean? And this goes back to the promptings. Remember that still small voice, your intuition, your inner wisdom. If you get a prompting to call somebody, pick up the phone, text them, call them, FaceTime them, I don't care what you do, and reach out to them. What is the worst thing that's going to happen? The worst thing that will happen is, why are you calling me, Ilya? You know, but most likely, or what's been my experience, people have said, it's kind of interesting that you reached out. And I'm like, why is that? Because, and then they tell you the reason why. Yeah, I was thinking about, yeah, or any of that, yeah. Of course, right? <laughs> if you get that prompting, act upon it and do it immediately and notice because that is an example of being of service to somebody else. You don't mm -hmm. physically have to go. It doesn't cost you anything other than you, you show that you care, you love them, and you are thinking about them. And isn't that funny? Because like I remember at the beginning of this pandemic, it took me like a few weeks before I started like calling up some of my friends just to like have chats like we're all in quarantine like why can't you call up and like that's the first thing the kindness is like sometimes just doing that and bright giving somebody a bright day or letting them like let loose of like what their troubles are like it's that's an act of kindness and that like does resonate and like it does make a difference to yourself like you feel better after that and it took me a while to just be like shut up and just call up like when you have that feeling Shut up and just call them. Stop. Yeah, just don't don't hesitate. I mean, the critic will tell you, well, they don't want to hear from you or you're bothering them or whatever. No, you're not bothering anybody. If they're your friends, reach out. 
the worst thing that I'll tell you is I'm doing fine, but thanks for thinking of me. That yeah. is the worst thing that could happen. That's but yeah. most likely they're going to say, thanks for calling me because I've been kind of down lately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, because I work with, uh, you know, senior HR leaders too in, in, in companies, I, and because so many people are working remotely, when I train them, I said, look, when you call them to check in on them, your direct reports, don't ask them how they're doing. They're like, why shouldn't I ask? Because if you ask them what they're doing, they're not going to tell you. Close the door, reach into the camera and say, how are you really doing? How's your family? How are your kids? How's your spouse? What can I do? Or what can the company do? Or, or what can we do to help you to, to make your life a little bit better? That's why it's a different question with a lot more empathy and a lot more love. Now, if you want to do the extra homework, be hot. What does that mean? Honest, open, and transparent. Hmm. Meaning that as a leader, leading to the camera, into the camera again, say, you know what? It's really hard in my home too. Our kids haven't been in school for nine months. It's driving my wife crazy. It's, it's, it's been very stressful. You know what? I've been kind of depressed too. I've been kind of down. I miss being in the office. I miss, you know, interacting with you and with my, with the team and so on. Like be honest, open, transparent, come from a place of vulnerability and with a heart full of love. You know what happens then? Trust. That's what happens. And then your employees will open up even more and will be even more willing to, to do the work because they truly know that you care. In the end, people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could know a whole bunch of things, but if they don't feel like you care about them, forget it. So, so we all have to show up differently. Greater emotional intelligence, greater, you know, that those soft skills are more important now than ever before. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. That was amazing. Uh, all right. I got to ask you the question of the podcast. So, uh, Dr. Yulia, God, yay. Yay, man. Yay all the way. Yay all the way. You know it's yay all the way. I didn't even let me finish the question. All right. Yay all the way. And I'm very grateful because I feel like I've tried to live my life to be very connected to that spirit. And, you know, when the voice comes and those words come, it's been, I've been doing it a long time. So, like I said before, I don't need to ask why anymore. I don't need to. I don't need to know why. Just do it. And good things happen. And if you ignore it, well, <laughs> yeah, and I've well, ignored it. Believe me, I've ignored it in my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm yeah, trying to. All. I'm trying to listen to be more in tune and to act upon it. As you know, the older I get. <clears throat> all right, that's awesome. Uh, all right, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Uh, let my audience know uh, one more time about your uh, books that you're selling, where they can get them, and uh, anything else you want to promote or uh, where they can get a hold of you. Yeah, um, they're both on Amazon, Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness. That was the number one bestseller. And then uh, Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, which is the new book. And I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. I think that's probably the best place. Uh, Ilya Gurgur's uh, PhD, the, the happiness doctor, they, you can find me. 
or my website, which is dreliagregors.com. Those are the All two right. places. And yeah, uh, yeah I'll toss yeah. that in the podcast description. Uh, but that was so amazing. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for thank. Do you ever travel like with your comedy, your comedy, and all that oh, stuff? Oh yeah, I was uh, traveling uh, all over uh, Canada and uh, UK a lot, and I, I do go to the states uh, every once in a while as well. Well, you gotta if you're ever in Colorado, man, you let me know. I'll come and see you because your you, your stuff is really funny and it's it's it, it's intelligent funny i mean it's like you're 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 it's really good oh. i i watched i watched three of your videos so far but i'm gonna watch more now so oh all right well thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're welcome you're welcome it's been a pleasure all right that was another episode thanks for tuning in everyone please like and subscribe to the podcast give it a good rating that always does help check me out on instagram at newer kid and all the other social media platforms. And my website is newerkidy.com. You can check out my comedy dates and stuff like that on there as well. And you can check out all my comedy videos as well, which I really do appreciate. This uh, podcast is part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. Give them a check out as well, and you can see more podcasts from other comedians and uh, funny people in Canada. Thanks so much, guys, and I'll see you again on another episode of God Yay or Nay.